Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Laura Baker who is a fellow online coach and she's also a nutritionist as well and we are going to discuss the difference between fat loss for a competition prep versus general population fat loss but Laura could you briefly just introduce yourself for those of you who might not have heard of you? I can indeed. Hi everyone. So my name is Laura Baker and as Danny said, I am a nutritionist and online coach. Um, I've been in the business for about eight years now. So I did online coaching before anybody knew what online coaching was um, and people weren't convinced that you could do it online, but it clearly works. Um, Alongside that, I am also a competitor, um, competed with numerous federations, um, and now I stay in my house and make TikToks. So that's a little bit about me at <laughs> the moment. Lockdown fun. It's like as fun yeah, as exactly that. moment. <laughs> um, I was just thrilled that I got to do my hair for this today, Danny, because I'm seeing oh my another God, human. Know, like, podcasts, <laughs> I've been getting more like, I've been putting a bit of makeup on, which is a stretch for me at the moment. <laughs> Um, so I do wonder how we're all going to go back to normal society after this. <laughs> I know, like having to actually go out on a daily basis and look presentable is going to be a, a big stretch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God for the masks. <laughs> no. So during this podcast, like I said, we're going to discuss some of the differences and similarities between fat loss for um, competition prep versus gen pop fat loss. So for, for non-competitors. So in terms of how we actually go about fat loss, is the principle of creating a calorie, def a calorie deficit any different between competitors and the general population? Um, so yeah, I would say it is. I mean, the goals are different. I mean, the main principle in that obviously anybody that wants to lose body fat, we need to get them into a calorie deficit. Um, but the way that I might go about doing that will vary a lot between the two groups. Um, the other thing I would say in terms of um, setting up a calorie deficit for competitors, I'm much more concerned about where that deficit comes from in terms of macronutrients split. Um, the other biggie I would say is that although the principle might not change, the size of that deficit might also be different for, and that, that will vary between competitors in themselves, experienced athletes, inexperienced, but very much so between people that just want to lose a bit of weight for life and people that have to be on a stage in X number of weeks. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And so would you go about tracking fat loss progress in the same way between competitors and non-competitors? Yeah, so I do. So for all of my clients, um, we track progress in three ways. And I'm talking about physical progress, mental progress is a whole nother ball game. Um, but in terms of physical progress, I'm looking at pictures every single week, which is actually the primary thing I coach on. Um, I don't think we can rely on scale weight entirely. Um, I also do look at scale weight each week and I actually get my clients to weigh in daily and we look at an average of that across the week um, and then body measurements. Um, the only thing that's a little bit different for athletes is obviously we've got the posing element. So in terms of them sending pictures to me, they're doing that in competition poses. And as we get closer to stage, it then transitions to videos so that I can see exactly what the judges will see. So we can make sure we're bringing the right look to stage. Yeah, that's cool. And I actually do the same with videos and athletes. I think it's so handy because 
someone looks very different when they're moving around in comparison to when it's a still image. So I think they're incredibly useful. I can completely agree with that. Absolutely. Especially when body fat levels get very low, there might be the slightest little change. It's like, oh, the hamstrings pop in a little bit more there that you wouldn't see if you just got it from a picture. But it's even the same, actually. I don't know if you get this with your clients, Danny, like my kind of what I call my lifestyle clients. So for the purpose of this podcast, if I refer to lifestyle clients, I'm talking about people that want to lose weight outside of competing. Um, So my lifestyle clients will often say to me, I look way better in the gym mirrors than I do in my check-in pictures. And I'm like, yeah, it's because you're moving and you're real. It's not that one still snapshot in time where you've just hopped out of bed in your pants in the morning <laughs> and trying to get it done. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely useful. Um, I mean, the other big thing is that there's much more emphasis on how you look as a competitor because that is the sole goal is to provide a certain it's a shallow sport but that is what it's all about whereas you know people in normal life they're not going to know what who cares if they're holding a little bit of water and stuff like that when you've got a step on a body like a bodybuilding stage that stuff does matter yeah i think the videos for competitors also provides a little bit of accountability for like posing practice as well otherwise it can be so easy to like let that slip so you know that they're at least practicing their posing once a week as a bare minimum if you're seeing their checking video yeah absolutely i think it's really um it's something that i wish in my earlier shows i'd i'd done more of on a personal note it's just practicing posing not in front of a mirror with just you know, and I even say to my clients after a while, use the back camera, don't use the front one. You're, you're going to have to do it on stage without your training wheels. So let's remove them. Um, so I think it's definitely very, very beneficial to video yourself at least once a week. Yeah. And in terms of lighting for progress pictures, what do you usually prefer? Because I know a lot, like I'll sometimes get checking pictures from people when they first start and I'm like, no, <laughs> it needs to change. <laughs> yeah so i am i i do set out certain criteria around checking pictures natural lighting is always best for checking pictures um but i know that in winter that gets very challenging especially as i know most people like to do the pictures first thing in the morning so here in like in the uk when it doesn't get light till like seven sometimes eight o'clock in the morning that's always a challenge so you know we'll work around that where possible um but natural lighting and keep it consistent i say to people so not in front of a window where you're going to flash your neighbors <laughs> necessarily but if you can do it in a room with a decent window um and the other one my other gripe in checking pictures and anybody that's come to work with me might know this because they might have been told off but no selfies like mirror selfies for checking pictures are a no-no um yeah (laughs) yeah i completely agree with that and it's you know it's huge if you want to analyze someone's progress properly you need to be seeing them in the same location the same lighting from week to week and it needs to be decent lighting so that you can actually see everything properly. So completely understand that. And in terms of the duration of a fat loss phase, would this differ between a competitive client versus a lifestyle client? Um, Potentially, yes. I mean, in terms of what I like to do is when people come to me for coaching um obviously people have goal dates in mind like even lifestyle clients it might be for a wedding it might be for an event it might be for a holiday i mean maybe not so much in 2020 <laughs> but let's remember when the world was normal um but what i actually quite like to do is look at where someone's at where their calories are at 
um, where the current body composition is at and then recommend and their kind of attitude experience history with dieting and then recommend a time frame for the diet competitors usually it's going to be a shorter dieting phase um largely dictated by the show that they want to do especially experienced competitors the more experienced someone is the less notice they seem to give me that they want to hop on stage and do a show um but yeah for lifestyle actually sometimes the length of that diet is dictated by somebody's ability to handle a calorie deficit because I always, the, the analogy I like to use when I first talk to people about dieting is that it's like saving money, losing body fat. It's like the shorter time frame you want to do it in. So the quicker you want to save up that money, the more you're going to feel the pinch day to day and the more you're going to have to say no to things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, it very much varies, but generally speaking, competitor deficits, tend to be shorter um whereas lifestyle clients to allow a more enjoyable dieting experience provided there's not an end goal that's looming we tend to stretch things out a little bit longer is my preferred approach yeah and would you generally say do you know with someone who's relatively new to competing or a first timer would you usually take the approach of allowing a little bit longer with those individuals because they've not got as much dieting experience yeah, absolutely. 100%. Like, um, I think it allows for, especially like, usually I like to have people come work with me for a bit before. And we kind of, I call it the prep, the prep, pre-prep phase where we just actually practice weight maintenance. They learn about how I work. I learn about how they work so that by the time it comes to prep, all we've got to do is layer the calorie deficit in on top of that. Um, but yeah, it just allows for weeks when people plateau it takes the pressure off it also allows diet breaks because if that's the first time you've ever been at that level of body fat i, I think it can be a bit of a shock in how you feel day to day people aren't expecting it so for new competitors i like to put more diet breaks in and more and bigger refeeds and things like that so i will do a longer time frame whereas actually you know, dieting in itself is a skill i think the more shows you do the more you can kind of handle each time because you already know how, what to expect with that bit. You already know how to deal with that bit. So it's, um, it's a lot easier to get there in a quicker time frame. Yeah. I think some people in general just respond, like some people prefer shorter and aggressive, whereas others would rather do a slightly more moderate approach and just allow a little bit longer. So I think preference comes into it as well sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Pref like, and I would actually say that, I mean, preference, it comes into it all round. I mean, 100%, I think when we go back to talking about the kind of principles of how I would set that deficit, 100% with lifestyle clients, preference is up there in what I factor in for them. Whereas competitors, sometimes that might have to you know if if you want to do that show then actually we're going to have to shorten that prep or you know we can't have you prepping for half the year if you then want to do shows next year because i would rather have you in a muscle gaining phase and just feeling good for a bit longer as well so um both preference is important in both but that i would say is another principle there it factors a lot higher with lifestyle clients than it would with athletes yeah and you mentioned refeeds and diet breaks briefly there laura is that something that you would implement with both competitors and lifestyle clients and does the importance of those things change based on whether the individual is a competitor or not 
no, the importance of it doesn't change. I, it's something that I apply with both. Um, I mean, physiologically, somebody is going to benefit from a refeed and we always put that in, you know, and a diet break. So I try and get those in as well before the point where somebody needs one. But sometimes you do just miss it if somebody's a bit of a machine and they're cracking on and then all of a sudden, um, you know, we hit kind of the same thing, the same the side effects of dieting happen regardless of whether you're a competitor or a lifestyle client, you know, things like sleep becoming disturbed, training intensity decreasing, you know, reduced ability to adhere to your diet. Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff, it, it happens in both phases. Um, competitors, I would say it's more important that we get the timing of it, right? That's on me though, not on them. Um, but yeah, it's really important for both. And I think the other big benefit, I'm a massive, massive fan of, diet breaks with lifestyle clients because one of the things I am most concerned about is when I help somebody lose weight that they have the skills to keep that weight off without me in the picture so that they can maintain those changes long term so I actually think as well as all the physiological benefits diet breaks are a really really fantastic opportunity to practice maintaining your new body weight um, and, you know, it might even be that during people's diet breaks, I get them to eat a bit more intuitively or we ease off on the tracking or, you know, we try something else so that when the time does come for them to leave me as much as I'd love to coach everyone forever. It's just I haven't done my job right if you need me forever. Um, yeah, I think that's a really valuable skill in itself. And one of the big benefits of diet breaks that I don't think people think about enough. Yeah, I think it can give people a real like psychological benefit as well, like a bit of a reset so that they're like, right, okay, I can push again now after I've had a bit of a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And do you know what? Sometimes it can be as simple as, and I know people don't like the term, so I'm going to be very careful with my terminology here. I'm not going to say cheat meal, but you know what I mean, a meal that if you're tracking macros, you're not tra you, you don't track that meal. Sometimes it just takes somebody to eat to their full satiety without any external influence to be the difference between them going, right, I'm ready to smash all my goals now. And no, this is crap. I can't do it anymore. You know, like just one meal can change that. It's like, oh, all is not lost. I was just a bit hungry. <laughs> yeah. And for the listeners, what actually is the difference between a refeed and a diet break? Like, how would you distinguish those two things? Um, so for me, a refeed is usually a day or a couple of days of, um, increased calorie intake predominantly i do that from carbohydrates so that we look to increase training performance restore glycogen improve sleep all of that stuff whereas a diet break will be a longer period of time usually um, and you know a refeed might just mean an increase from where that person is at um, or even on a refeed day, a slight surplus. For me, diet breaks usually tend to be when I just take somebody to their maintenance calories for, you know, sometimes a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, that's the, did I explain that clearly? <laughs> yeah, no, that was perfect. So like, basically, a diet break is an extended version of a refeed in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think some people sometimes hear the phrase diet break and they think, oh, okay, so like, uh, I don't have to track anymore like is that a break a proper break from everything and it's like no okay it's it's a controlled increase to maintenance it's not like yeah it's gonna completely it's a break it. from your deficit not from your good habits and behaviors yeah and it's really important to emphasize that because like you could do quite you could set yourself back quite a long way if you had say three weeks where you literally threw everything out the window and just 
ate whatever you wanted and didn't do your expenditure and everything like that. So yeah, really important point to emphasize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so is it possible for a general population, so a lifestyle client to lose body fat without tracking? And would you ever consider or advise this for a competitor? Um, so to touch on the first part of that question, yes, it is possible. I mean, any, any diet, there's always an element of restriction. There has to be some kind of rule or something that, you know, stops you from ultimate, because ultimately you wouldn't want to lose weight if just eating whatever you wanted to eat was working. Right. So there needs to be something. So, you know, in some, in, in tracking, we make sure that people hit certain numbers or certain calorie targets each day. Um, other methods might include eliminating certain food groups, following certain meal plans, counting points, you know, removing all carbs and fun from your life whatsoever. <laughs> Keto is your thing. It's slight bias there from me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's always going to be some element of restriction, um, but there are definitely ways to lose weight without tracking. And again, it depends where somebody is at. And I guess this kind of feeds on to the next part of the question. If you are kind of just going through life with limited nutrition knowledge eating kind of whatever you want um those to me i i like to call those the easy wins in terms of clients because it's like right we can do some food swaps here i can show you how to put healthy meals together um and as a byproduct of that you will end up in a calorie deficit so let's remove this thing remove this alcohol remove whatever it is um but there is only so long that will work and then it gets to a point where we need a little bit more structure um, so that's where it feeds on to the next part of the, the question is the goal for competitors is to get to stage maintaining as much muscle mass as possible with low levels of body fat um, in my opinion you cannot do that without calorie and macronutrient counting and whether that's you know if you don't like to track you you know there might be people listening to this that work with coaches that put them on meal plans your coach is still counting your macros for you they're still doing that bit you don't have to have the aggro of putting it in my fitness pal each day if that's what you prefer and i know that personally when i prep my coach i ask him for a meal plan because also it hits a certain point i don't want to know how low my macros are i know they're low yeah. um so yeah does that answer that question basically because it depends where you're at in your journey and yeah. where you're starting from. Because the goal of stepping on stage is like so extreme and we're trying to optimize body composition. We're not just trying to get away with the bare minimum. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Like, yeah, you can lose body fat without tracking, but we're not just trying to get away with the bare minimum as competitors. We're trying yeah. to push to the extreme. Yeah. It's like, why would you, you know, it's a competition. Why would you not want to throw every possible string in your bow at it? You know, so it's, um, if like, it's even like me, I've done some weird stuff in preps that, you know, the, the evidence-based coaching me goes, I can't find a single bit of research to back this up, but you know what, but, but you know what, from experience, I know I look better when I do these things or when I eat these things. And it's like, you know, so even food choice matters to some extent for me. And I'm like, there's no research I can find to back this up whatsoever. But if it gives me a 0.0001% edge on stage, I'll do it. I'll go for it. And I think that's the mindset you kind of need when you're competing anyway. So I'm always slightly concerned if somebody comes to me for a prep and they kind of don't want that level of precision anyway, because I'm kind of like, well, maybe this just 
isn't the sport for you and that's cool but yeah yeah I just can't understand why you wouldn't want to be optimal it doesn't make you any less of a person if competing isn't for you like if that's not the right goal for you that's fine it's just that you have to accept if you do want to compete and you do have that extreme goal that your actions need to match that goal and you need to be willing to absolutely actions in place yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I would not blame anyone that doesn't want to compete or doesn't want, like, I'll be honest, having done, you know, years of the stuff myself, I don't know if I can ever be bothered to put my hands, hands up. I think I'm too lazy and too old to compete now. Like, that's just my general kind of thought process on it. So I would never knock anyone for not wanting to do it because it's tough and it's extreme. But if you say you want it and it's what you truly want, I think you just have to be aware that this is what you're letting yourself in for. And it's bloody fun. It's great when you're in it and you're in that frame of mind, but you have to be in that frame of mind. Yeah, definitely. And so like how, what approach do you usually take with your competitive clients in terms of how meticulous do they have to be if they're tracking, for example, how close do they have to be to their macros? And then how would that differ for a lifestyle client? Um, so there's, there's definitely a difference between the two. Again, it's, it's ensuring a level of accuracy with competitors. So there are just certain things that I will have in place, like eyeballing your food. And, and again, I guess actually, even within a prep itself with one client, this could vary, you know, the front end of the prep, you know, less versus the last eight weeks of the prep, this might change. And there might even be some weeks where, and actually I do this with all of my clients and check it and I kind of find out how they're tracking, what methods they're using. We delve into that because it might be before I even touch your macros, I'll just tighten up on these things. And, and lo and behold, we found a new deficit just from getting tighter on these things. Um, again, for me, it's all very much about, so let's start with the lifestyle side, looking at where somebody is at in their journey. Um, so if they are not weighing anything at the start, just eyeballing might be enough. Or if they're not, for example, I might look at the food diary at the start and be like, this person's not eating enough fruit and veg. Um, I'll tell you what, don't track your veg to start with. And I'll give them a list of foods that we don't need to bother tracking them. Go to town, fill your boots, enjoy them. Then when they start to plateau, that's when we start tracking those things. Um, but for competitors, there is yeah, I want them to track everything. I tell them that macros should be hit within five grams each day, each individual macro, proteins, carbs, fats. Um, lifestyle clients, it might be, I want you to hit a protein target, an overall calorie target. Or if you know maintaining muscle mass isn't a particular focus of theirs, it might just be an overall calorie target. Um, so yeah, and again, it's even down to things where competitors, I want you tracking either pre-planning your food, at the start of the day if you want to be flexible or x number of weeks out we might put you on a meal plan um or at least tracking your meals as you go whereas lifestyle clients yeah track from memory at the end of the day that's fine um you know so it's little things like that where it might vary but i always i do actually in any scenario always like to approach it with my clients as I don't want to make your life miserable. So what can we get away with? And then if that, if it's not working, then we have to, you know, let's put some more rules in now. But if we can, if I can do it and make your life easier, I will, I won't make it yeah. miserable for the sake of it. With sometimes with lifestyle clients, I don't know if you do this as well, Laura, but what I'll do is I'll give them like a calorie range and a minimum protein target. So they've just got that little yeah. bit more like leniency because it's not quite as important to be so meticulous as a competitor. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think that's, that's even, I suppose, within in overall calories, like weekly energy balance is a big thing that I, I look at with. And even actually, again, going back to the principles of how we might set it up differently for a lifestyle client, it might be like, I'll give them some structure purely based on their preference. So you like to eat more each weekend, sweet, go to town at the weekends and we'll do the work in the week with a competitor. It's like, no, that food needs to be around your training because we want to hold on to that muscle mass or we want to make sure you've got enough food in each day so that you're sleeping well, so that you're recovering. Um, so yeah, I would say actually, yeah, it's a lot easier for lifestyle clients in that. No, it's cool. As long as you're within your calorie range for the week, sweet competitors it's like no come on we need to tighten these things up yeah and just so people know as well you know that's not because you're necessarily it's not because it's a a better way of creating a deficit to track all three macronutrients and track super meticulously but it's that we need to monitor every single variable and that competitors are at a much greater risk of losing muscle tissue because they're dieting to an extreme level of condition as opposed to a lifestyle client who isn't getting that lean they don't need to be getting anywhere near that really <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and that's the thing is that that, that's it. The end goal is to get to stage preserving as much of that muscle mass as we can. Um, and I think everything feeds into training with a competitor because training is a big, big part of that. And that's not to say actually that lifestyle clients that don't have, you know, slightly more extreme body composition goals that I might, you know, I will use some of the principles that I use with my competitors on them. Um, but it is that's the big difference it's not if you do the things a competitor does it's not going to get you any leaner any quicker it's just going we're, we're trying to make sure that when their body fat levels are decreasing because let's be honest most off-season competitors are lean anyway when they start they're like life lean aren't they and it's just that you go to like extreme lean by the time you get to the yeah. stage all of that time you're at greater risk of breaking their muscle mass and that's purely what it is so it does fill me with sadness when people go on the internet and pick up bikini competitor diets because they think it will make them lose weight quicker it's like it, no that's not the case like the, your deficit will be fine for you um if you don't want to step on a stage as a bikini competitor you don't need to put as much pressure on yourself as a bikini competitor might yeah and if you do it's probably going to be much less likely that you're able to sustain the progress that you actually make because yeah. let's face it, most bikini competitor diets are not sustainable in any way. <laughs> no, like honestly, I genuinely think if I pick, like I look back at my prep diet now and I'm like, I couldn't do it. I don't, I don't know how I did it. If I tried to, I can tell you now, hand on heart, if I tried to follow that for a week and I consider myself quite a disciplined person anyway, I would fail miserably because without the the prize and the competitive drive like that just looks like not a lot of food <laughs> to me right now exactly and it just emphasizes how important it is to think long term if you are a non-competitor and you actually want to sustain the results that you make you have to consider implementing habits that you can actually sustain long term if you wish to sustain the progress that you make um, and yeah. so are there any sort of additional food guidelines that you would give to a competitor, which you maybe wouldn't deem as necessary for a lifestyle client? Yeah. So, um, I would say the first one again is I'd focus more macronutrient timing with a competitor. 
then I would a lifestyle client because again, the, you know, competitors train hard. I'm not saying that other people don't train hard in the gym, but you know, the, the sole goal is to maintain that muscle mass. So I would little things like, you know, I'm not that actually that meticulous about meal timing still, but carbs pre-workout carbs pre-bed to aid sleep actually is one that I do. Um, until it gets to a point when carbs get so low and then it's like we might have to make a choice between <laughs> training and bedtime. Yeah. Um, protein, post-workout, again, protein timing throughout the day, something else I would focus on with a competitor. And as we get towards the back end of a prep and calories get lower, I actually quite like to move a lot of my competitors um, that are flexible and I'll work with them on it, but onto a meal plan. And that's for two reasons. Number one, when you are running on those low levels of body fat, I want to make sure that the micronutrients are there. You're getting in everything that you need and that we are, again, fueling performance in the gym. So there is, you know, less room for the fun stuff. So you do need to make sure that you're eating your fruits and veggies and all of that kind of stuff. And the second reason that I move people into a meal plan four weeks out is that and, and again, people might disagree with me on this one, but I do think there is a difference in how a competitor looks, digestion, all of that stuff, if we limit processed foods. And I am, as a coach, trying to remove as many variables as possible before we head into that peak week, into that show day, you know, and it's even things like from four weeks out, I will start using refeeds to practice carb up so that, you know, we'll start looking at pictures after refeeds so that by the time the show comes, we, it's just a breeze. We know what we're doing because we've practiced it for weeks. We've not suddenly chucked in, you know, if you've not suddenly chucked in a food that's caused you some bloating or some gas or some issues that might disrupt you on stage. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's the, the big difference there is food timing and food choice. Um, not that food choice never matters, but when somebody's those low levels of body fat closer to show, it, I put more emphasis on it. Whereas I wouldn't say to somebody that comes to me with a goal of going on holiday in a couple of months, right? You have to eat, you know, you have to have protein post workout and you need to make sure you get your pre workout oats in. And I want you eating only these foods. I just wouldn't do it, you know, to somebody. Whereas a competitor four weeks out, that's, that's exactly what I would do. Yeah. And I think on the point of like limiting processed foods, it mostly comes down to, like you said, optimizing digestion and also just making sure that there's no heavy fluctuations in sodium, which could cause a massive change in the amount of water retention they're carrying or something like that when you need to tightly control all of those variables. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And also it in a way ensures tracking accuracy as well, because if we think about food labels and how much they can be out and vary, I mean, you've only got to look at, like, let's look at like at the average ready meal. Like there are certain ones that I like and buy all the time, but I know sometimes I get 10 pieces of chicken. Other times I'll get two. Sometimes it looks like it's got more oil in. I'm thinking about a curry, by the way, in case anyone has a guess. Um, but you know, so uh, that's that's all they'll do when they label foods is they'll take an average and yeah studies show they can be up to 20 percent inaccurate now when we're talking about a competitor and, and a female bikini athlete who's probably at the lower end of the spectrum being 20 percent out on calories does become more significant you know so again it's just another way to ensure that tracking accuracy 
Yeah, definitely. And so should cardio methods be different between competitors and lifestyle clients? Um, again, front end of prep and back end of prep, a little bit different for me. And the only thing that really, again, I'm prioritizing training and recovery and all of that stuff. So I'm actually a big fan of getting my prep clients to do steady state cardio or whatever, whatever can get the job done with minimal impact on your recovery and your resistance training. Um, you know, and some people can do these crazy hit workouts and recover fine. I know for me personally, if I start doing any hit, I can't walk for two days. That might just be because I'm unfit, but I find, you know, slow and steady, like a snail plodding on an incline treadmill, I can do that. And it doesn't impact my ability to train my glutes, to train my legs. So it's all about recovery. Lifestyle clients. I just want you to find something you enjoy because if you enjoy it, you will keep doing it. Um, you know, we might quantify that and I'll give you targets around that, but you know, it's that later, and I, I can think of one of my clients, she might end up listening to this podcast. Um, she did a lot of running, um, and she's now learned, I mean, it was really impeding her recovery and her ability to train legs. And I can remember telling her, you've got to cut your runs down <laughs> towards the ship, like, the show and stuff but now now down the line she's actually unfortunately because of an operation that she had to have in her knee in the end she's had to stop running but as a byproduct of that the legs have really started developing <laughs> um so you know it's sorry i told you i'd go off on tangents before this <laughs> no way, Danny. but yeah so general principle to summarize on that competitors whatever impacts recovery the least and again um, competitors, I actually don't want them to see them doing any extra cardio beyond what I've set because we've got very limited fuel in the tank. It's like, you know, we want to keep appetite in check as well and not run you into the ground. Um, people that just want to lose weight for life, what makes you happy? What or which of the cardio methods is least painful <laughs> to yeah. you? And we will roll with that. And I think with a competitor as well, it's really important to make sure that you can monitor the intensity of the cardio. Whereas if you're just doing something like, I don't know, a hit circuit session, you might go into that session one day and have loads of energy and then go into that session the next day and have literally zero. So the difference between the energy expenditure in those two sessions might vary quite greatly. So it's really useful to have a form of cardio where you can go and do the same level every single time you go on if that makes sense yeah exactly that and it's actually for that reason with my competitors i actually like to set them a calorie target for their cardio now i don't care if it's not that exact amount of calories we all know that activity trackers and machines they're all grossly inaccurate anyway but what it does mean is that we can quantify it so for example if you gave me 30 30 minutes of cardio so not a calorie target a time target if you gave me 30 minutes of cardio to do now i'd probably bosh through it pretty lively pretty upbeat because i'm well fed um if you give me 30 minutes of cardio to do two weeks out from a show i can guarantee you it will be at a much slower pace yeah. um so yeah with competitors whereas if we do the calorie target it can take you as long as it takes you but if i increase it i've increased it whether that amount is actually 200 calories 300 calories 400 calories it's irrelevant um, but we've still increased that expenditure. And I think that's one of the mistakes. Um, it's probably one I made in my earlier coaching days is, and I see other coaches make is where they do that time target and then they increase that time. And then all that happens is that person goes, Oh Jesus, 
my cardio has gone up from 30 minutes to 45 minutes now I better slow up a bit because I've got to get through 45 minutes of this so it, it kind of becomes counterproductive yeah if I ever um, do work from sort of time targets what I'll do is I'll give them a heart rate target alongside the time so that they have to yeah. work at the same intensity every time they go in <laughs> yeah yeah that's it and and actually that's what my coach does with me and that is another way of approaching it so yeah I do think like you said it's just with athletes it's more important it's just about controlling the variables a lot more um and again even with a lifestyle client if they're not losing weight at a rate they're happy with or they feel like they just want to kick up the pace I might start to put some of those mechanisms in place to control that but at the start like I said it's always about what can we get away with and where are you at now and if at the moment you're doing nothing and now you want to do three Zumba classes a week we've increased your expenditure so until you plateau there we don't need to start measuring your heart rate in Zumba and all of that kind of stuff you know definitely and so are there any fat loss supplements that you might consider using with a compressor that you wouldn't with like a gen pop lifestyle client um no <laughs> no i like not fat loss supplements i mean the only thing i would make sure that uh, a competitor is taking the big one is um creatine i would make sure that that's always in for a competitor whereas actually again it depends on the kind of training that a lifestyle client's doing if they if the goal is to build muscle then i would focus on that to prioritize training um and then obviously all your usual kind of base supplements but no nothing that stands out it's like a how about you no pretty much the same the only one that i'd sometimes consider which is allowed in drug tested federations is your himbine but it's very hard to get hold of anyway um so yeah it's very difficult to get hold of at the moment um and i definitely wouldn't use that with anyone who wasn't wanting to step on stage and with yeah. any supplements, it's only ever going to be like a very marginal gain that you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. If all the other stuff isn't in place, it's not going to do anything anyway. If only there was a magic pill that we could yeah. all take and then... We wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as a lifestyle client or a non-competitor, should you be concerned if you lost your period whilst you were dieting? Yes. Well, not mega concern. So I don't want anyone that that's happened to to panic um, because I've seen it before with clients where we increase training and, and the calorie deficit and the length of that deficit. But I think I actually, to be fair, I've actually had some unfortunate things with a lot of my clients where they've had the period on show day, which has been a bit of a pain. Um, but I think as a competitor, because of the low levels of body fat that you're pushing yourself to and the amount of training that you're doing with very little fuel availability, um, it's, it's a lot more common to lose your cycle. Um, and there's a, a, an explanation for it there. Whereas I would say for somebody that's just lifestyle dieting, your health needs to be your focus. And I'm not saying your health doesn't need to be your focus if you compete, but I think if you compete, you accept that there may be some health implications of getting to those levels of body fat that shouldn't be the case if you're trying to lose weight for life like this stuff should make you fitter and healthier so i, I would say yeah cause for concern there just get it checked just get it checked out check you're all good yeah there's just no put like there's no need to be dieting to the point where you lose your menstrual cycle if you're a non-competitor really um and like you said if 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 you did and you had any concerns like go and see your gp about it <laughs> yeah yeah 
Um, and yeah, I don't so, want anyone that's happened to to panic, but yeah, just go and get it checked out. Just in case. Yeah. And it can just, you know, it can happen if someone starts to get really lean and they've started to really push the boundaries um, and go to that more extreme end of the spectrum, say they're doing like a photo shoot prep or something. Um, they might have they might experience that but that's when it's maybe time to start pulling back a little bit and um, get yourself in a less aggressive deficit or out of a deficit pretty much straight away yeah and I think ultimately as well you've got to think about the end ultimate goal right the the goal with bikini prep is to create this physique for this moment on stage um, and then that, that it's not supposed to be sustainable whereas if you're losing weight as a lifestyle client surely the end goal should be to create something you can sustain yeah. and you don't want to sustain something that's not healthy. So don't be in a rush, focus on that. You know, if you've made a bit of progress, wicked, focus on getting yourself a bit healthier. And then if you're still not where you want to be, there's no rush. You can start again. Um, but I think that's the other important thing to remember is the end goal with competing is a very short time frame that somebody should be yeah. there. Whereas for life, you, you, you know, you don't want to be living without a cycle forever. You want a body that's good on the inside as well as the outside yeah exactly and it like a a general population client should never set the goal of looking like a competitor either i think it can be quite easy to fall into that trap and competitors usually look a lot healthier on pictures than they do in real life so people sometimes yeah. look at those pictures and they're like oh my god i'd love to look like that but they don't realize what's gone into it and what negative effects they're experiencing to their health and the way that they feel yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually, I always say to people, and I've always been very transparent about this on my own social media when, you know, cause you get at the comments when you're prepping it, it's lovely, like the body goals, stuff like that. And I'm always like, don't make this your body goals. I can't sustain this body. Like I couldn't, if I wanted to now look like I could on my show day because I don't have it in me to get there. And I felt miserable and a bit crap. So like, don't make that your goal. It's not sustainable. If I can't sustain it and it's my bloody body, you sure as hell won't be able to sustain it do you see what i mean in the sense that it's strive for something that you can live in and you can enjoy um but i think also there is a really big common misconception like i think you said it there about how competitors look in real life like when we are in our poses um you know carved up tanned or even again the stuff we post on instagram i don't i think i saw a really great post from you actually danny the other day like the bits that no one shows you um my face I you know and honestly i checked in with callum on that day and he was like to me he went danny you need to cover that the bags up under your eyes they're terrible and i was like i know i know that i've not had my makeup done yet <laughs> yeah it's um it is so that's why i crop my head off in all of mine and i think that's why most competitors crop their head off because it is like you know when i when i'm hitting my like side pose i look like i've got all these full glutes and curves and hourglass and honestly you see me walking around in real life i look like skeletor like my baseball cap's too big for my head it's hanging off i've got like cheek cheeks like like people can't see me but i'm sucking my cheeks in <laughs> and it's a podcast and i'm straight up and down like a little boy it's not a nice look it's not sexy i don't feel sexy there i think it's cool like i'd be lying if i said being that lean is i find it quite cool and fun um but yeah it's i think actually if people saw what they were aiming for in real life they'd be a bit shocked and go oh actually i don't really want to look like that yeah exactly it's like people compliment you on social media and then like i'll see people in real life when i'm staging and then they're like are you okay but on social media they'll be commenting like oh my god goals 
<laughs> do you know what i always joke like that's when i know i'm getting really shredded is when people start asking me if i'm all right <laughs> yeah you know yeah. like when random people start asking you if you're still eating i'm kind of like yeah i'm getting near stage condition <laughs> yeah when your family start getting like concerned <laughs> Um, honestly I try and stay away from my mum when I'm stage lean because it, it, it genuinely worries her I don't think it's nice to see like and because you do look so tired and you're just out of energy and like even my posture like when I'm not posing it just you know it's your body preserving energy isn't it but yeah it's not a fun time aim if you want to look like a bikini competitor aim to look like one in the off season because that's her real body and that's that's what we should be normalizing is when people are healthy not this unsustainable thing it's like trying to live in a holiday you just can't do it you run out of money <laughs> and so we've discussed obviously sh someone shouldn't really consider competing if they're maybe looking at people's stage pictures on social media and they like the look of that but they don't really like the the extremities behind that are there any sort of other reasons people maybe shouldn't consider dieting for a show um, so there's always a couple of things I would look at if anybody's considering a prep. Um, the first one is the, the main reason for doing it. So I think sometimes people are struggling for motivation. They can't think of a goal. So I'll give that competing thing a go. That'll make me stick to my diet. That'll make me train. And it's like, I can promise you now, if you on full fuel are struggling to go to the gym regularly and follow a diet, this is not the sport for you because as you get hungrier and, tired and more tired throughout a prep, that will only get worse. So it won't, that's never a good reason to start a prep. So I always check that. Um, somebody's relationship with food as well is, is important. Um, you know, I, I would always check that somebody has got a healthy relationship with food and it, that there's, I mean, how do you really check? You never really know. Um, but you know, I just look for any sort of red flags around there in terms of what someone's telling me somebody's starting body composition will make a big difference um because you know not everybody can diet down these weight and look like a bikini competitor underneath that sounds harsh but they do have a significant amount of muscle mass even in the smallest category bikini um and if you've only been training a year um you're probably not going to have the mass there unless obviously you've got background of like gymnastics or sport or some sort of athletic background but um, so that somebody's got a good amount of muscle mass and also that somebody's calories are at a decent place before starting prep. Have they had enough time off of dieting? Because if somebody, I don't know about you, Danny, but I'm, if somebody comes to me with, you know, they're on 1400 calories doing cardio every day and they're still sitting quite a bit away from a stage weight, it's like, we need to focus on reverse dieting you and getting those calories up. Cause where am I going to take you? Um, in terms of bringing them down. So I always look for that side of things to be nice and high as well before we start. Yeah, definitely. I think they were really, really good points. And I have one more question for you, Laura. So which type of dieting do you personally find more difficult dieting for like life or dieting for a show? Oh, that's a really good question. Okay, so my answer is physically harder to diet for a show, mentally easier. Because there's a show, you can't cook up. I'm not going to embarrass myself by not being in condition when I step on that stage. And it's very clear. There's a clear number of weeks. I've got a clear set of instructions. I don't have to deal with social situations because I can just tell everyone, hey, I'm on prep. Sorry, I can't go. Or hey, like, so mentally, it's a lot easier. 
I think lifestyle dieting or me just trying to diet to lose a bit of weight for life, no clear end goal. I'm kind of comfortable with where I'm at now, but there might be time, you know, vanity for summer. I might want to drop a couple of kilos, but on the whole, I'm not that unhappy with how it looks. The motivation's not as strong. Social stuff cropping up left, right and center. And I'm a girl that loves to eat and drink. So it's a lot harder to say no to, but physically a lot easier because I don't have to, you know, train as much. I don't have to do as much cardio. I don't have to go on as low calories. Um, so yeah, sorry, that's a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but I would actually say mentally, it's a lot harder to diet for life than it is for a bikini competition, but physically it swings around the other way. Yeah, I completely understand that. And I think, yeah, I can kind of agree with that personally, because, you know, when you've got a show at the end of it, like you said, you don't want to step on stage and think, I haven't tried my hardest here. So that is a huge motivating factor to like, tick every single box but it's obviously much more taxing on the body to diet to stage lean than it is to diet for to lose a couple of kilos for life mm-hmm. but yeah I would like it is a lot harder like like I said it's um it, it's almost it's almost a different experience the two like the the way I diet for show prep Laura and like bikini Laura and normal Laura two different people two very very different people yeah and obviously when you're dieting for a show like you know you have much less room for other aspects of life no you know you can't really you can go to social occasions but it's not quite the same (laughs) you probably won't want to go to many social occasions because there might be food in front of you there might be your friends consuming a lot of alcohol which you want to participate in I personally get tired about 9 p.m when I'm on prep so yeah I get tired about 9 p.m when I'm not on prep Yeah. So when I'm on prep, it's like 7pm. Yeah, when I'm on prep, I remember like there was one time I went for like drinks with my friends, but I wasn't drinking. And I was sat there and I could just feel myself like falling asleep at the table. <laughs> so that's a yeah, bit what I think for prep. <laughs> I think that's it. I, I tend to, um, you can socialize in prep. I tend to avoid it. Not because I... I think I'll be influenced by food and drink and stuff like that. But I think when it gets to a certain point, and again, front of the prep's fine. It's the, for me, it's the, the real like last six weeks where this starts to hit home. I just feel a bit tired and a bit not with it. And I don't, I don't want to be the like miserable one in the room. I don't want to, you know, rain on other people's parades. So I kind of just keep myself to myself because it's easier not to go when you're feeling that tired, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure people are really going to benefit from listening to this podcast. Where can people find you on social media and where is your website? Um, so you will find me on social media as at Girl Gains blog and that's Gains with a Z and something <laughs> I regret doing because I'm going to have to repeat spelling that for... <laughs> for the foreseeable so yeah girl gains blog and then my website in case anybody is interested and you'll find links to all of my socials there is www.girl-gainswithaz.com perfect but yeah if anybody has any questions off the back of this danny as well you are welcome to dm me or ask me yeah anything so i appreciate i rambled a little bit there so if you want some clarity feel free to send me a message anybody 
Amazing. I love a good ramble anyway. And I'll put your details <laughs> in the description box below for anyone who wants to find you. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for listening, guys. I will see you next week.